Episode 4, A New Hope, the Photon Podcast, Dry Tortuga's Mini-D Expedition, Aloha from Hawaii, and an operator's favorite mode. We've got some specials from MTC Radio you're going to love, and more coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photime, the other ham radio podcast, sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Hale Nelson, K4CDN. It's episode four, A New Hope, on the Photime Podcast. What's happening? I'm Kale, K4CDN. Thanks so much for being here listening, downloading, subscribing, telling your friends, and being a part of the Photon Podcast. Pretty cool show coming up. We're going to talk to Dan, Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray, about his recent mini-D expedition to the Dry Tortugas off the Keys of Florida. We've got a call from Hawaii, where a listener describes his favorite operating mode and why. We're going to talk about Maine Trading Company, the show sponsor. They've got some great new packages for Photime listeners exclusively. You can check them out at mtcradio.com. But first, let's grab that call. Aloha. Yeah, hi. This is Whiskey Hotel 6 Echo Echo Yankee. Uh, my favorite uh, mode is, uh, J- is the digital modes, but mostly JT65. I like it because I can have it running in the background while I'm doing other work on the computer. And uh, to help you get to, you know, a lot of states racked up pretty quick for work all states, as well as getting some really long-distance contacts from here in the middle of the Pacific all the way into Europe. Uh, so definitely the digital modes for me. Okay, 73 is in Aloha. Now you can find that number on the website. Go to the website, find the contact page. Actually, it's splattered everywhere. Give us a call. Leave us a message. We've got a, we've got a question on the voicemail. You leave your reply, we'll put it on the air. We're just wanting to try to connect you with others and to, uh, to see what folks are doing out there in the hemisphere. That's not a copyrighted term. Hey, speaking of the website, if you go there now, we've got some really cool stuff happening on the website, along with, of course, our podcast posting every other week up there. Main Trading Company, the show sponsor, has put together some ham packages, some new ham packages. If you're a newly licensed technician or you're going that direction, you need a, maybe need a base station, power supply, antenna, coax, they've got you taken care of. A really great deal. Savings upwards of 20 or so bucks, even more if you count the free shipping they throw in there for you, for a brand new Kenwood TM281, which is a bulletproof, wonderful two-meter rig. I've got one here in the shack with me. And uh, you can get that package by using the Photime uh, podcast, what do they call it, coupon code. And it's exclusive. And They're not offering these to everybody. They've got them packaged together, but if you don't use the Photime code, you don't get the deal and you don't save the money. Okay, so you've already gotten your tech license. You, you don't really need a 2-meter mobile, 2-meter base, but you'd really like to have a nice uh, a, a nice HF rig. Or maybe you're, you need to upgrade your HF rig. They've got a deal for you as well. Haven't left you guys out. Uh, TS-480, a wonderful Kenwood mobile slash base. It's more as much base as it is mobile and mobile as it is base. It's a, it's a killer rig. I'd love to have one here in the shack. They have it. They have a power supply and an antenna for you. And it's a savings of over 40 bucks for the package with the Photime Podcast special coupon code. 
and uh, it's just hard to beat. Those guys are great. Thank you, uh, Richard and Christy, for, for doing that for the listeners. And really hope you guys will check them out at mtcradio.com. Contact links all over the Photime podcast website. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about it right now. It's a great deal. If you need some gear, that's where you should go, mtcradio.com. Okay, coming up, we've got Dan, Alpha Kilo 4, Papa X-Ray. Dan is from Florida, from the Miami area, as he'll share with us in a few moments. Dan recently returned home from a miniature D-Expedition, or maybe we'll call it a mini D-Expedition, because it was a little island. He, He activated an island down in the Dry Tortugas, off the coast of Florida. So it's a really cool, really cool deal. Dan, appreciate you being here, man, and appreciate your work to do what you did with your mini expedition and coming on the Photon Podcast here to share it with us. Hey, Kale. How are you, sir? Thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. And hello, everyone. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Glad to have you on. Know that uh, you've got quite a story to share with us. And uh, before we get to the uh, the main draw here, if you will, I got to ask you, uh, what got you into ham radio? Why did you want to become an amateur radio operator? Well, for some time now, I've always been interested in ham radio, and I just I never knew the route to go to get into it. So one day I just decided that, well, now that we've got some major hobbies out of the way, let me get into this one. And I just started checking it out in online forums and such, looking at all of the various articles that people would write, the DIYs, the do-it-yourselfer type of things. This is how you do it. This is how you test. This is how you study. And then I decided to finally go for it, get it over with. Kind of a bucket list thing. And it took you one day, and you went from a zero to a hero. Congratulations. (laughs) I, I would like to say there was some kind of higher purpose in doing that, but it is quite simply laziness. I, well, there's two things, really. It was the laziness, and I didn't want to have a prior call because I figured eventually I'd be extra. So what I did was I took about four to five weeks every night, studied straight for each test, went, took all three at once, got one call, one test session, done. <laughs> there you go. 15 bucks and he was finished, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, and uh, the FCC just announced that they wanted to increase the charges on our uh, vanity calls. So now you've got a really cool two by two and you don't even have to worry about a vanity and you're not going to have to pay $21.60 in 10 years to renew your call. That's right. I can put that toward, uh, you know, uh, two, two gallons of gas or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dan is uh, Dan is from Florida, and uh, he's got quite a story. Dan mentioned some his hobbies. He's not only an amateur radio operator; he's quite an accomplished photographer as well. Dan, how do you uh, how how do the comparison? How do you compare amateur radio to photography? Just off the hip. Well, it's uh, compared to amateur photography, scuba diving, motorcycle racing, whatever the case may be. It's merely a matter of of mindset and focus so you play with it for a little while you see what you've done wrong what you've done right you study that you continue playing with it and pretty soon it starts to become um, subconscious almost second nature I wouldn't that's that's kind of a little far-fetched but I would say it's a fair statement that things start to become second nature as you 
as you get it deeper into your psyche, as you're practicing with it, playing with it, and learning from from your mistakes, basically. You know, a lot of people are, um, they don't really like the idea of someone testing all three, passing all three at once. Uh, they think that uh, you need uh, some time to to get to know the hobby and, and learn and whatnot. But it seems like to me, I, I, I tested twice in two months and, and got to general and I need to start studying for the extra, but or continue to study for the extra. But it seems to me that I learned a lot in the book, and it made it make sense to me. But what has really helped is just operating and being around those who know how to operate or do operate, you know, well. And it's almost like on-the-job training. Does it seem like that to you? You know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was thinking about that maybe middle of last week. In my studying for the tests, there were a lot of technical terms. There were a lot of rules, regulations, things of that nature. But I would say at most, in all three tests, there was maybe probably 10% as to how to actually operate on the radio. Yeah. There, were, there were questions yeah. about band limits and things of that nature, but there was never anything about perhaps a, a sample exchange between two operators, the, mm. the normal type of thing. So I discovered that uh, I discovered that pretty quickly in my study. <laughs> so for me to be the downfall of ham radio and such, I'm almost proud of it. That's okay. I knew the real yeah. learning would happen after as I began operating. And it has. It has to the point that Dan recently returned from a mini D expedition. I believe that we can call it that. And um Dan, we want to talk to you about that. You went down to the dry tortugas, which means dry turtle. I, I, I'm I'm really that smart, folks. He didn't tell me that. He just verified that I knew that tortugas. That's right. You're meant the turtle. man. <laughs> yeah, the phone man. Uh, I'm on the I'm on the phone man right now. But <laughs> but uh, Dan, you went down to the dry tortugas. Now I'm not familiar with the dry tortugas. Can you explain to us what that area of Florida is, and then let's talk about what you did there. Okay, like uh, like most people, myself included, I figured Key West was it. I found out that Key West is really the beginning of that's it. <laughs> so Key West, and then seventy miles almost due west is the Keys. The Garden Key is no, that's not. It's the second to last key of the whole Keys system. So Lighthouse Key, just two miles west of, of Garden Key, is the last one in the United States, the whole system, so to speak. So mm-hmm. Garden Key is where Fort Jefferson is located. And as of this year, that's a 167-year-old U.S. fort built way back when it was important to have people on site all the time. And... It's a long way from anywhere, and you decided to go and take your radios with you. I did. I wanted to. I had, I had always embraced the idea of um, being able to pick up and go with a communication system. And to me, that was just so cool. You know, you would see a movie like Predator where the guy, he whips out this little antenna, and poof, he, this colander explodes open and becomes a radar dish or, or communication dish. 
and he starts talking <laughs> on satellite, and it's just, hey, that backpack thing is pretty cool. So now I didn't, I didn't have any of that, but the idea of it was something I liked a lot. So I decided, where can I go in South Florida where I can just kind of be out there and be the voice in the wind? And I discovered there was nowhere. So I had to go way out there, and Fort Jefferson was the place to go. So, cool. I mean, who wants to go to and the you, Everglades in the swampland? Dry you, Tortugas uh, is the way. <laughs> now you built, you purpose built a um, a rig to take with you. I, I guess is the best way to say it. And uh, I believe that was an ICOM. Was it an IC seven hundred three? Right, the seven hundred three plus uh, a discontinued rig, but one of the fewest rigs I found that puts out at least ten watts. With low power. Mm. Everything else was like a 5-watt low-power deal. And in my research, that's great for, for CW, for Morse code. But for voice comms, it's, it's marginal at best from what, I've, from what I saw. So I had to go out for something bigger. But the next size up was 100. Right. Now, you can run those at a lower power, but the, the current draw does not drop accordingly. So I had to find oh. something else, and that's what led me to the 703. And you uh, you put the 703 in a box, which was a, a really neat deal. I really, really enjoyed the box. We'll, we'll feature the box on the uh, the show notes and maybe a link to some of your f- photographs of it. Uh, but it wasn't your typical Pelican or MTM or, or one of your rack mount boxes. Where did you and how did you find the box that you chose to put your rig in? Well, the the inspiration for the concept was those Pelican boxes, those those rack boxes, things of that nature. But again, I can be a little weird, I suppose. If I was going to do it, it had to look cool. And what looked cool? The ammo can that you, the green ammo can that everyone sees, that looked rugged, but it didn't look necessarily cool. So I finally saw one day that's it that's cool and what i call it is the sci-fi ammo can so whenever you see (laughs) in science fiction the ammo can like the ridges on the side Uh what what you're seeing is the 25 millimeter ammo can that the military uses for its for its cannon rounds for its aviation uh, machine guns and such so that was it that was my ammo can and just a bonus, it opens on both sides. Now, I designed it so just so I would only have to open one side. But to have the other side open was, was kind of cool. But, but yeah. you can open it, you can open both ends of the box. Yes. Well, hey, that'd be great for someone who didn't have a, uh, like a detachable face or someone who wanted to maybe change the antenna connection on the rear or something like that and needed to get to the rear of the radio. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll, go, we'll we'll put that in the uh, the show notes. All right, so you you found the furthest place you could go, <laughs> and uh, it's Fort Jefferson in the Keys, the Dry Tortugas. Uh, did you activate like an island on the air, or how did you get permission to operate there, or did you do both? Uh, I did both. Yes, uh, I did three things actually. I activated an iota island on the air which in this case is the, the uh, whatever, the label for it, I guess, is NA079, November Alpha 079. 
So it had been previously activated and had subsequently been labeled. So it's not, I only had to verify my trip, not necessarily activate the island. Mm. The other thing it is, is Grid Echo Lima 8.4, which I think is the, I think the official term is the Maidenhead Locator System or something. So Echo Lima 8.4 is one of the top five, maybe top ten grids that people want for the ARRL's FFMA, Fred Fish Memorial Award. Mm. And Fred Fish was the first ham operator to, um, to verify all 488 grids in, <laughs> here in the 48 states of uh, continental U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Only five since him have done it. And he did it in like 1988, so it's been wow. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, then, somebody was busy. Right, exactly. And then the third thing I did was Fort Jefferson Garden Key Dry Tortugas is actually a national park, the way Yosemite is a national park. It's all official. Right. It's got park rangers that live on there and everything. So I could go and operate like from my campsite. But my consideration was the antenna. Like every ham operator, the antenna is everything. So I was looking for a spot where I could operate without being in anyone's way and without anyone running into my antenna. I mean, after all, who wants a damaged antenna, right? Right. (laughs) So I applied for what is called a special event permit. And that special event permit allowed me to operate on the North Coaling Dock, which is normally closed. So it is closed to foot traffic and everything. So I was able to operate there undisturbed and without being a disturbance to anyone else. Now, another serendipity of, well, I apologize. Another serendipity of the North Coaling Docks is that it's basically, it's right at the northernmost point of of the key. So I had the North Coaling Dock and then boom, all of the Gulf of Mexico. So I had my salt water amplifier <laughs> basically. So how uh, how long did this take? I mean, you, okay, so you you put your radio in a box and you found you some batteries and solar panels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you decided you wanted to do something different from the moment you decided I'm going to go to the Dry Tortugas off the coast of Florida. To the time you were sitting there operating, how long did that take? That was three months. Three months? Yes. Now, now, was it three months of, well, I need to send these guys an email, or did it take three months to process? Fortunately, it was, I need to send these guys an email. Mm. It, was, it was very easy to deal with the National Park Service. If you're very clear on what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, how many people you're going to have, What's involved, if you're very clear with that, it goes very smoothly. Cool. That's a good reminder for, for someone who may not know or someone who may have an interest in it with the National Park Service. Yes, sir. So uh, you flew down, I guess, or did you drive? Well, I live in Miami. That was another factor. Okay. And I got off work, came home, put everything in the car that I had been packing and unpacking, testing out over the last month put everything in the car, drove down to 
uh, let's see, 300 Grinnell Street. That's where the garage is. That's right next to the ferry in Key West. Drove down there, got there like 11 p.m. at night. Got in the passenger seat, leaned the seat all the way back, and took a nap until around 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's where I packed everything into one of their dollies. Stuck it on the ferry. Because the campers get on the ferry first around uh-huh. at 6 a.m. But then, you have to, then they kick you off to make you wait in the terminal so that when everyone else arrives, the day trippers, then you just get on, officially get on the ferry with them at around 8.30. Okay. Now, did you, um, you not only your, your rig and whatnot, you had to take, I'm assuming, uh, sustenance to keep going. Is that, a good, is that a good assumption? That is a perfect assumption. When you go <laughs> to Dry Tortugas, you, if you think of it, you have to take it. If you don't think of it, you'll probably regret not having it. That's how it is. Wow. There really is nothing there. What did you, what, just out of curiosity, what did you do for water? Well, uh, part of my research, I figured I was familiar kind of with what I needed living here in Miami in terms of on a hot day type of thing. So uh-huh. I was going to be there four days, three nights. I figured if I was going to go, I was going to go the whole way. (laughs) So what I did was I started looking at the various water containers. And I figured I'm going to, I figure I need more water container than I can really handle. And Mm -hmm. that was a very good choice. Instead of choosing one of those heavy-duty Walmart containers, I chose a military plastic container, five-gallon jug. So... The jerry can is a format that's very easy to carry, despite yeah. weighing like 50 pounds full of water. <laughs> so, I mean, a, a cube would be difficult to carry, but the jerry can was, mm-hmm. was fairly easy to carry. So that's, those five gallons are what I took for, for primarily for drinking. For washing myself, I just took wet wipes because I wasn't going to burn water just, you know, washing my face or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And basically you dry camped for, for three nights and four days. Yes. And ate cliff bars and, and crickets. Uh, there's uh, no standing water down there, so it's actually very few bugs. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, but, uh, Spear- I- Dan was Dan was spear fishing <laughs> while he was on his D- mini D expedition to the dry tortugas. <laughs> no, ironically, uh, being a National Park Service, there's no commercial fishing down there. But you... Your son, your sister, whoever, can fish all they want. Wow. But no commercial fishing. That's pretty cool. You can fish right from the park. It's like one of the, I think the ranger said it was the only park where you could do that, I think. Huh. That's pretty cool. Guys, we're on the phone with Dan, Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray. Dan recently returned from a mini-D expedition to the Dry Tortugas off the coast of Florida, down in the Keys, the furthest west point. Uh, at uh, Fort Jefferson, and we're going to come back in just a few minutes. We've been talking, of course, about preparations and getting ready to go. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about what happened when he got there and how that went for him. Stay tuned, guys. You're listening to the Photon Podcast back in just a moment. Visit mtcradio.com today, a great one-stop mom-and-pop shop. 
for everything ham radio. Radios, antennas, power supplies, wire and cable, books and training materials, microphones, headsets, and accessories. Find popular brands like MFJ, Heil Sound, Jetstream, LDG, Alinko, Comet, Texas Bugcatcher, Radio Waves, and more. MTCRadio.com, an authorized Kenwood and ICOM dealer. MTCRadio.com. Back on the Photon Podcast with Dan Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray. He's got one of those cool, brand new, almost brand new extra calls in four land. We don't have any one by twos or two by ones left, so we uh, we get these Alpha Kilo and uh, uh, I don't know if I've seen an Alpha Mary yet. But anyway, Dan, thank you for being here again on the Photon Podcast. Just a few moments ago, we were we were discussing the preparations you made to go on your mini D expedition to activate the uh, the Fort Jefferson Dry Tortugas area in Florida off the Keys. And uh, we're going to get around to talking about your operating. You took a 703 Plus with you. Yes. And uh, we, we know that, and it's in a 25-millimeter ammo can. But how did you power the rig? Let's start there with powering the rig on the beach and go from there to operating. Okay. I powered the rig uh, in one of two ways. In my in my three months prep, I ran kind of I ran my DX setup, so to speak, here in the backyard. I wanted to see what worked and what didn't work. Again, I wanted to make all my mistakes right here in the backyard, where if I got really really messed up, I could just come in, get a glass of water, turn the game on cool down, let the rage subside, then go out and fix what I broke. So, <laughs> so uh, inside the can, all full-time, part of the design is a 9-amp-hour battery. And the reason it's a 9-amp-hour battery is that it's the largest I could fit with the radio in the can. So otherwise, I would have put in the 18-amp-hour. So <laughs> it's not... It's a carry rig, but it's not a backpack, you know, hike across the Sahara Desert rig, for sure. Right. So, so I have the shack in a can. Now, by itself, that's just not enough for the DX. So what I did was, secondary, was I bought a 35-amp-hour battery, and I put it inside its own ammo can, just with a couple of connections and input for charging and an output for, for sticking in to the to the external input of the go box. And I tested those out here to see what kind of current draw I would have. Now, I didn't choose the 703 just because of whatever. I chose it because of its current draw characteristics because I couldn't carry all the much all the battery in the world that I needed. So I needed a way to minimize my weight indirectly. A low current draw means a low battery payload. Now, I wasn't going to count on just that, so I incorporated a solar panel and a solar charge controller into that setup. So, my plan what, was... Uh, what, what, ty- what, type of, uh, what type of solar did you use? I had a 27-watt folding solar panel, and, okay. then, and then my solar charge controller was a Morningstar... Uh, PWM controller, pulse width modulation controller. 
So, so what I did there was, in the backyard here, with the solar floating the internal battery, I can pretty much operate indefinitely. Or I shouldn't say that. I can pretty much operate as long as there was direct sunlight on the panel without adversely affecting my state of charge. Now, I didn't assume that I would have clear skies all three days, so that's where the 35 amp hour came in. Plus, that would be for, for night ops. So if I had an overcast day and I only had the 9 amp hour, that's it. It'd probably last the day and that would be it. No night ops. And then I'd have to spend the next day just charging the thing. So right. I wanted to avoid ending up in that situation. So how did it work out? Did uh, Before we get on into the actual operating, uh, you ran your test at home, you got you got on the beach and started operating. How did it work out for you? Well, I was fortunate to have clear skies all three days. I did start out with the 35 amp hour, floating that with the solar panel, but I discovered that I could just operate on the 9 amp hour, no problem. I would have, even after operating for three or four hours or whatever, excuse me, I would have a full state of charge at the end of the day. Cool. So it worked out, worked out well. Now, did you operate uh, a 24-hour cycle? Did you operate particular times of day? Did you have a schedule um, that you had posted so folks could find you and whereabouts you would be be hanging out on the bands, or, or how did you do all that? Well, I, one of the challenges was I went down for the VHF contest. The, the timing of the VHS, VHF contest is conducive to six-meter operation. Hmm. Mid-June, apparently, is one of the peak times for, for sporadic E propagation. So I, I, I could have posted a, a, a band schedule, a band plan and timing, hmm. but sporadic E is... That's not scheduled to put it that way. So it's sporadic. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't. I I could, but I couldn't. So it was it was kind of a tough one. So I didn't necessarily. Po- I posted like a start time, but I didn't post a time where okay, this is when Dan's going to be on the bands. This is when he's going to be asleep. This is when he's going to be heating up an MRE. I didn't. I really couldn't do that because of the sporadic nature, literally, of the six meter. Right. Of the six meter band, so the so six meters is what you concentrated on when you were there. Yes, yeah, I would okay. say, you know, uh, six meter operation is is so sporadic that it's not something you can necessarily concentrate on. So if you were focused on it half the time, some people might say oh, that's that's a lot of concentration on six meter. So. <laughs> So half the time I was on six, the other half I was on twenty or or seventeen. So okay, so uh, we've we've got your we've got your rig and, and power figured out. What did what did we use for an antenna there? Okay, so again I was counting on the saltwater amplifier, amplifying the signal of ten mm-hmm. watts, and there were a number of reports where I had gotten five nines. 20 over I wow. I easily spoke with people in California it was an it was no issue whatsoever so 
<clears throat> I was very fortunate. I had researched this as well. I'm not the expert, certainly, on antennas. But apparently I, I researched it well enough where I had six meter. I had one mast, one tripod. And on top of it, I could put either a six meter Yagi or a vertical, full quarter wave. So the thing was comically tall. It was 16 and a half feet tall, the vertical. <laughs> so, so the Yagi, that was good until the third day. That was good until the third day because I got complacent. I said, well, I don't need all three guy lines. This wind has been blowing the same each way, each day. I just need one guy line. Well, then that, it was good for the first two days. And, <laughs> and the third day, that's, that's when the tears happened. And the thing went down. Three of the four whips broke. I only had one spare. And that was it for the, for the six-meter Yagi. But fortunately, wow. the internal tuner of the 703 would tune six meters on that quarter-wave 20-meter setup. <laughs> so, well, hey, so it worked, right? I still made some six-meter contacts on that third day. So, so uh, one, of the take, one of the takeaways I've gotten thus far is if you're going and taking a directional antenna, make sure you have some parasitic, parasitic elements in your back pocket. Yeah, I only had one. I didn't have a full, a full set, just the one. Right. Because I broke one in the backyard, so I, ah. oh, I bet I better get a spare just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, you come down to just how many antennas can you take? So, I knew yeah. I knew from testing that the twenty meter would transmit on six. So, I knew I wasn't totally out. I got you. Did you operate? We've talked about operating in daytime. Did you do any nighttime operations at all? Well, I I tried to. Um, it was kind of creepy out there in the North Coaling Dock. The, the mm. rats, the rats uh, were here and there, and I'm not I'm not really afraid of rats or anything, but I didn't want them to <laughs> bite me or scratch me looking for anything. Yeah, I didn't want to get any kind of weird, you know. Any kind of weird bug. <laughs> so, so those weren't swamp rats; they were beach rats. They were, they were just beach rats. You know, you shine the light on them, and they, yeah. they, they, they run. <laughs> but, um, but what happened was that the first day, I allowed a lot of time for, for things to happen. Even so, even with that allowance, uh, the heat was just. So, so intense. It was, it slowed me down. Things that I did in the backyard where I was sweating still took longer out there because now I did as much as once as I could to kind of duplicate mm -hmm. the situation, but there's only so much you can do in your own neighborhood. I mean, once you get yeah. out there, you have to unload everything from the ferry, you have to set up your camp, you have to walk here you have to walk there and then you have to go back because you forgot something and then and the heat's getting to you the whole time there's no shade except what you're wearing or what you use and so when nighttime came around i was just ready to go but the other thing that happened is you could see flashes on the horizon mm. and every now and then they would they would get closer 
And so, you know, if I get hit by lightning, well, you know, maybe a couple of aspirin will fix that. But if the antenna gets hit, that's it. You know, yeah. game game over. And then what do I do for the next three days? Try and recover from a lightning strike? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, it was kind of weird because it was like clockwork. Right around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, the wind would pick up big time. And you, you just knew it was going to come pouring down. The heavens would fall. So you pack everything up as fast as you can. And at 11 o'clock, it's still really windy. But there's no rain. The thunder's still distant. And I didn't want to unpack everything just to set the station all up again. Right. And, and the thing, it happened again the next night and the night after. So, you know, my night ops kept the weather kept teasing me. So I didn't want to push it. So maybe a two-man operation would be, two-man operation would have made things a whole lot easier. You know, it would have made it four times easier just to have a second person. But I knew it getting in, so I wasn't I wasn't disappointed. All right, so I got to ask you, and, and we're all just very curious. Tell us about the contacts you made. Okay, the contacts I made, I could hear on six meter, for example, I could hear a lot of people, and I had my my grid printout, so I would hear them say, Delta Mike six nine, Delta November nine one, things like that. And I would call out, and I would get a few of them to con- to return. And some guys said they would spot me, but <clears throat> I could hear a lot of people, but they didn't seem to hear me. And everyone I heard seemed to be 500 miles away or further. Hmm. And everyone who could hear me was at that distance. I didn't hear anybody from Florida. Tennessee, Georgia. Apparently all those were quote unquote too close. So so I made a string of contacts on the second day on six meter. Uh, you know, I got spotted and people were calling. I was I was returning calls. I was calling CQ. At times I would just say, uh, Dry Tortugas calling CQ, Dry Tortugas calling CQ. Other times I would say, Grid, Echo Lima 84 calling CQ. And I, when I got back, people were like, you were really faint, or you were this, or you were that. And I'm guessing it's a little different with the Yagi over salt water than it is with the vertical over salt water. So uh. that's the only thing I wish I had when I was down there, was a better knowledge of propagation. There's no internet, no cell service, nothing. So you have, <laughs> when, I, when I mentioned before, you have what you take with you, that is truly it. I had a whole binder full of info and grids and distances and everything. And it was helpful to give me a perspective as to who I was reaching out to and who I wasn't. But I still wish I had that, that better knowledge of, of propagation in general. Right. It's kind of hard to spot yourself when you're in the middle of nowhere. Right. Which, <laughs> yeah, you bring up a good point. I did announce it for... Six weeks prior is when I began announcing. Uh, I sent I sent the info to all the DX people. I made announcements on Eham, things of that nature. So <clears throat> it wasn't unexpected. And some people, when I got back, I tried to reach you, but I don't know. I couldn't hear you. 
I saw you spot, and we just couldn't get you. What uh, what would you do different regarding the ant- I, I think that you've got your radio and your power taken care of. Uh, that that makes perfect sense. It, everything you did made sense for me. Uh, and, and even your antenna seemed to work well. But if you could improve your antenna, because we know that's the crux of everything. Right. Or not necessarily improve <clears throat> your antenna. If you could have changed your antenna, what would you have done differently regarding your antenna for this, if you had it to do over again? Well, fortunately, uh, when I say full quarter wave vertical, it's <clears throat> it's literally a quarter wave length physically. So mm-hmm. there's no coil loading, there's no electrical lengthening. So it's physically right where it needs to be. So as far as the vertical goes, I was very happy with that. As far as the Aggie goes... I was pretty happy with that as well. So really, the only difference... Yeah. Oh, I didn't break it. The wind (laughs) broke it. (laughs) He broke it. (laughs) That's right. So what happens... The thing I would change is either have an amp, an external amplifier, maybe just to Uh punch through those... You know, those few times that you want to punch through. Or... Well, I would have had, if if there was a rig that had, you know, the right characteristics between power out and current usage, I would have had that instead. So so I guess really just an external amp would have made the difference. Right. Now, if I had the very same conditions on the next trip, and I knew I would have those same conditions, then I would have something like maybe an ICOM 7200 or a Yesu 857 Delta, for sure. Because <laughs> then I could operate maybe 50 watts, knowing right. I can put those amps back in the battery with the solar panel. Yeah, I got you. I got you. And we've talked about, uh, here on the podcast, we've talked about some different battery chemistries and some really exciting uh, new chemistries coming forward. And uh, we're actually going to be talking about that in another upcoming episode when uh, Jeremy comes back with us and, and gives us his AA uh, after-action report, rather, on his field day uh, solar experiments and whatnot. And uh, so there may be some, some alternatives there that you could even get more power uh, from a smaller package, if you will, uh, with, a, with an alternate uh, chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, if you can afford to buy them. That's my problem is, is uh, the SLAs are so inexpensive compared to something else. It's almost worth it for me to lose half my amp hours just because they exist. But that's a whole nother <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast episode. Yes, I'm still reeling from the fact that my twelve amp hours aren't twelve amp hours. And that's okay. That's okay. His name is uh, Dan, Alpha Kilo four, Pop X ray. He just returned from his Dry Tortugas Mini D expedition and uh, spent some time there as he's been telling us camping uh, in the wilderness. And it's you know, folks when they think about the beach, they don't think about the wilderness, because a lot of us when we when we do go to the beach, and and I'm not a big beach fan, even living on a coastal state, I'm not a big beach fan. I don't like to sweat, but you know, camping <laughs> on the beach, dry camping on the beach, uh, would be a challenge unto itself. But taking all this equipment with you and and operating, how far how far was your operating position from where you were actually camping? that you had to move your equipment back and forth. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the camping, at least at Fort Jefferson, is in designated areas. So that's the only place I could go. Otherwise, I would have camped closer to my station. But it was a good six to eight minute walk, one way. Wow. (laughs) Now, you know, one way, ah, what's the big deal about that? Well, when you got to do it two and three times, you know, every couple of hours to get this or that, it gets gets tedious. (laughs) Plus, you're in the burning sunlight. So... I think it's. Uh, I think if you look on Google Earth, I think it's like seven hundred yards or something wow. like that. So what is that? A quarter mile? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's. Yeah, every bit of that. So. So let me ask you this, Dan. Would Would you do it again? Was it worth it? It was worth it. I would do it again. What about uh, What about these other de expeditions where, you know, there's eight or ten folks get together and they go somewhere crazy. Uh, would you be interested in that? Or are you just are you good staying close to home? I am definitely having done this. I'm definitely interested in that as well. Very good, very good. Yep. When when you got into the hobby, had you ever even heard of a uh, an island on the air? No. In fact, when I made this announcement that I was going, it was after that announcement that I learned about the island on the <laughs> air. <laughs> so, so three months was not just practicing in the backyard. Three months was, was learning about FFMA. It was learning about IOTA. It was right. uh, a gentleman from Bulgaria contacting me. Hey, Dan, I looked very long time for dry tortugas. Please. <laughs> so what I, <laughs> I set up with him a schedule of right. two to three times a day where we would try and get together just so uh-huh. he can get that contact into his log, just so he could get Garden Key uh, into his into his uh, uh, island chasing log. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a whole story unto itself because all six times, boom, no contact. At one point... I'm sitting there, it's about 20 minutes after the last scheduled opportunity. And I'm sitting there scratching my head. How do I do this? And uh, I remembered the, the, the concept of the phone patch. Mm. Now, I didn't have any of that stuff. But I had my ham radio. Last yeah. resort. So I get on, I call CQ, I said, this is AK4PX requesting an email patch. So somebody from Chicago gets on. I never heard of that before, but I think I get the concept. And I gave him Teddy's call. He looked it up on QRZ, sent the guy an email that AK4PX is on 17 meters. He's on this frequency right now. And after 40 minutes, I still hadn't heard the guy. Huh. So for whatever reason, I moved just one kilohertz north because somebody, I had the, the peanuts teacher on the frequency. Somebody was bleeding over. I'm sure you've heard it before. Wah, wah, yeah. Wah, wah, wah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, let me find out who this is. And I, I talked with them for about 20 to 25 minutes. And then I hear the peanuts character again. Wah, 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 wah. So, and it was making it tough to hear my current conversation. 
So yeah. I, I signed off with that, with that gentleman, and I went back to my earlier frequency, and it was Teddy. Wow. It was him. We did it. The email and he, he got his contact. He got his contact into the log. I was so happy. And in the article I write, you know, if I was going to do it again, knowing that I would just make only that one contact, I would do it. I really that would. That was worth it. Yep. That one contact. That one contact was worth it. That's because awesome. we had practiced the week beforehand here in the backyard. But uh-huh. the week before the VHF contest was the same week that the bands were just smashed by the solar activity. Yeah. So we couldn't make that contact even then. <laughs> and we were real time wow. emailing to each other. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, no, not at all. It was fun. But it, oh, it was so cool. That, that's so pretty cool. awesome. That that's uh that's prob that'll be one of your I, I would imagine that's probably one of your and his operating highlights of uh of your career as an amateur. Yep. Can you have a career as I think so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. An amateur career. Dan, I uh I've been intrigued by following uh, your story, your photography, and uh, want to make sure we have some good links to your photographs from your from your trip there and your okay. setup, your station, and um, we look forward to your article. Which I, I, you've you've submitted it to uh, QST for for review. I've submitted it to QST. I received an email yesterday. Um, I guess a second email. The first one I got from the editor confirming receipt. And then I think two days ago I got an email confirming from the publication coordinator, I think is his title, that, uh-huh. that they received it. And in the next few weeks, they're going to start reviewing all of their submissions. So cool. I don't know if they plan cool. things out a year in advance or how they do it, but I guess we'll find out in the next few weeks yeah, if it's well, published we, we know and that if it is when it's published. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, we know that you didn't forget to cross any T's or dot any I's. <laughs> uh, Dan's very thorough. He's very thorough. And I, I think that we've gotten that from you. Dan, uh, you, you said you came into it for another hobby, something that you had been intrigued by the, by the operations of it for years. Um, do you regret becoming an amateur radio operator? I do not. I do not. I knew it would cost something financially. I was prepared uh-huh. for that. So, so no, I don't regret it at all. I, uh, I think I did it at the right time for me. I, I did not have any influences growing up with amateur radio. I don't even remember how I first became aware of it. You probably but, saw this nerd with the pocket protector. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm a nerd too, man. Give me a break. <laughs> Nerds unite. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, Han Solo was a nerd. That's right. He baby. just got the girl. He just you shot. Know? He was the only one to shoot, actually. So, Yeah, he shot first. <laughs> He's like the South Carolinians. They shot first. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, do, you, do you have any plans to do anything else this year, or are you just going to kind of see what comes out of uh, out of this trip and maybe start poking around at maybe a larger trip with a group or something? What are you, where are you going with from now? 
Well, yeah, at the moment, 2014, the remainder, there's nothing concrete. I'm just curious to see what results of the article situation. You know, if it's published, what results from that? If it's not, then, you know, what the options are to just to get the story out there. Let yeah. people know that what it was like. So, Well, we're going to do that here with the Photon Podcast. And uh, we sincerely appreciate you being on with us. His name is Dan. His call is Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray. You can find him tuning around the low-power bands with his 703 Plus from Miami. Hey, I, I guess you're you're also now that you're in the know, you're ready for hurricane season. <laughs> yep. And uh, this most recent one, Hurricane Arthur, I believe. Yeah, it, yeah uh, he's up north of me now. Yeah, it uh, started in middle Florida and moved north. So... I was, I was gonna thinking about getting on the bands and just chatting with people along the East Coast, see what's happening. Cool, cool. Well, Dan, thanks for coming on the Photon Podcast. As you uh, as you progress, we may get you back in to get an update um, to get an update from you regarding your your publication of your your story and any further trips as well, if you'd be open to that. Absolutely, Kale. Thank you very much for for your time and. For all of you guys listening, thank you for your time. I'm sure Kale appreciates that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And telling your buddies. That's Telling right. your buddies about how cool it is to be a nerd again. That's yeah. right, baby. It's like it's, like it's <laughs> 1984 all over again. Yep. Okay. His name is Dan. Again, his call is Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray. You can find uh, his information in the show notes. We're also going to link to some postings of his regarding his trip recently, his mini-day expedition to Fort Jefferson on the Dry Tortugas off the Keys of Florida. You can find that in the uh, grid coordinates EL84, Echo Lima 84. Dan, thanks again for coming on FOTIME. Thank you, Kale. That'll close us out for episode number four. Dan, again, thank you very much, guys. His call is Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray. You can find him online as well as on the Photime website. It's AmateurRadio15.com. A big shout-out to my buddy Brundoggy out there in Hawaii. Aloha, my friend, and thank you again for your call. Speaking of calls, guys, pick up the phone. Call us, 206-415-3809. 206-415-3809 is the Photime phone line. Call in, check out the question we've got on the voicemail, leave your reply. We'd love to play it here on the show to share what you guys are doing with other listeners, okay? Don't forget Main Trading Company, mtcradio.com. They've got some killer deals right now exclusively for you, the Photime listener. You can find all the details there as well on the amateurradio15.com website. Till next time, guys, we'll catch you later on 73. Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents Bowtime, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bowtime Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at MTCRadio.com. Till next time, 73.